Some of us have heard the expression, a come to Jesus moment. It could oftentimes be used as a uh, statement that truly is, for some people, a realization of their need for Jesus Christ. But much of the world uses the phrase, too, in many different reasons, or or in many different ways, and with many different reasons. Sometimes just to say, you know, I've, I've come to a realization about something in whatever aspect of life. But I do want to mention today that there is a come to Jesus moment for us. And it was one that Jesus himself gave us when he said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It is my prayer, not only that we who believe in Jesus Christ would, who have already had our come to Jesus moment, but will remember that even in times when we have failed and struggled and faltered in our lives, that the Lord is always there to lift us up, to pick us up. Be encouraged by that today, church. Be encouraged by that. And to those of you that have never come to to Jesus Christ, maybe you've been in church all your life, but with everything that's going on, you've had to rethink a lot of the ways that you do things. I encourage you, come to Jesus and know the reality of his love and of his mercy. This this morning, we're going to be looking at the subject, Rejoicing in the Hope of Resurrection. We're going to read First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, and Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. We begin with the words of the Apostle Peter, First Peter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, in other words, a living hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, Ye rejoice with joy, unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. We're gathering in a much different way than we ever have to join with all believers this weekend in rejoicing in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It was nearly 2,000 years ago 
that Jesus rose from the dead. It was almost 2,000 years ago that this account that I want to read to you took place. The account in Mark chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, And they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. It was nearly 2,000 years ago that these women went and found the empty tomb And it was almost 2,000 years ago that several disciples, after hearing the report of the women, ran to the tomb and found it empty. For Jesus had conquered death and rose from the grave. Since that time, many great men, famous and infamous, have come and gone. Their legacies, accomplishments, and deeds recorded in the annals of history. But often at their death, Their bodies are either honored by followers or preserved as trophies by their enemies. Take, for instance, the body of Vladimir Lenin, the leader of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia in the early 20th century. His body, to this day, is on display in Red Square in Moscow. Elsewhere, the body of Gautama Buddha was cremated and his remains were divided into eight portions which were enshrined or put into monuments in Buddhist temples. Most of the great and powerful leaders in the world have tombs that you can visit where their remains are interred. But not Jesus. Jesus' tomb is empty. There is no body there. There are no ashes there. There are no remains there. He is alive. He is risen from the dead. And he sits at the right hand of the throne of his Father in heaven. That's where our Jesus is. And what's encouraging is that he's coming again. He's coming again. This is the hope of every believer in Jesus Christ. 
And it is my desire to encourage each and every one of you that the results of the resurrection of Jesus Christ can and will make a difference in the lives of every believer. Sadly also, though, it can and will make a difference in the lives of every skeptic and critic and unbeliever who chooses to reject the person and work of Jesus Christ, but especially who reject the truth of his death, burial, and his resurrection. You see, the Apostle Paul put it this way. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, he said that, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That is essential for every believer in Jesus to say and confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. The importance, you see, of resurrection. Paul to the church in Corinth would tell them concerning the resurrection and even deal with the issues of how some people considered resurrection or, or, or no resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 16 through 20, Paul said, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Your faith is worthless. Your faith is empty. Ye are yet in your sins. And then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only, we have hope in Jesus Christ, or we have hope in Christ. We are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So Paul takes us through that, that, uh, that understanding of men, that the men say, well, if, if this is this happening and this doesn't happen, then that is what is going to be the result. So he deals rationally with this. But he comes to the understanding and really to the conclusion that now is Christ, Jesus, raised from the dead. He is alive. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have been given then a living hope. We have a living hope in Jesus. This, of course, is what Peter tells us in his first letter, as we read earlier. And remember this, that Peter himself was an eyewitness. He was an eyewitness of the life of Jesus, really of the death of Jesus Christ, and of the resurrection of Jesus. So Peter is a good one for us to tell us, as he did in verse 3 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. He has caused us to be born again unto a living hope, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a living hope. Contrast that with what some people have today, which is a dead hope. 
They hope against hopeless. Uh, they, they hope against hope. Many people today are living in a, in a very hopeless way. They consider what's going on in this world as, as being, well, you know, what, what, when, is, when are things going to change? When are things going to go back to normal? And they hear people even, uh, you know, uh, people being interviewed, you know, governors and, and uh, uh, even the task force that the president has assigned to this, this coronavirus. Saying, oh, this is going to take a lot longer. It's going to be, you know, and, and where is the hope in all of that? There's no hope really being given in this whole situation. But I tell you that there is hope. There is only hope in Jesus Christ. And it's time for us as believers in Jesus to stand on that hope because it includes an un, uh, the understanding that we're not just dealing with what is on this earth. We are dealing with what is eternal beyond this life, which is really true life as God has given it for us to have with him because he's an eternal God. And we have an eternal Christ. We have an eternal Savior, an eternal Lord and Master. So now we have a hope and the knowledge that that death is not the end. Death is not the end for us as believers in Jesus Christ. For much of recorded history, mankind has often been unsure of whether there is really life after death. Even today, many claim that this life is all that there is. What you see is what you get. The conclusion of the matter for many is that all we become after we live and die is just food for the worms. But because Jesus arose, we now have a hope in the certainty that one day we too will rise again. That we too will live again eternally. The scriptures call Jesus the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? In Colossians chapter 1 verse 18, Paul says, And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And it is also stated by John in Revelation 1 verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. Well, being the firstborn from the dead, Jesus was, and follow me with it, follow along with me in this, being the firstborn from the dead, Jesus was the first that ever resumed the natural life with all of its functions, never again to enter into the empire of death after having died a natural death. See, we could compare that to Lazarus. I mentioned Lazarus earlier, actually met Lazarus's sister. But Lazarus, for example, Jesus spoke into his, his tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. He, he rose again from the dead to show the power that Jesus has of resurrection, to show that he is our resurrection. But we also know this, that Lazarus would die again. But not Jesus. Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, was the first that ever resumed the natural life with all of its functions, never again 
to enter into death after having died one natural death. Once for all, the scripture tells us. And he is not only the first who rose from the dead to die no more, but he is the first fruits of human beings. For as surely as the first fruits were an indication and the pledge of the harvest, so surely was the resurrection of Christ proof that all mankind should have a resurrection from the dead. The real question is, to whom will we rise? There will be some who will rise to life and others who will rise to judgment. But be secure, church. Be secure, believers in Jesus Christ, in the word of God. As we're told in Hebrews 7, verse 16, who was made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. The power of an endless life only comes through Jesus Christ because he is the power of an endless life. And because of Jesus' resurrection, we have a certain hope that even if we do die, one day we will live again. And at this point, you can actually consider the very fact that even though we are waiting as a church today, the rapture of the church, to some degree, that is dying to ourselves. I mean, we won't be alive on this earth any longer. We'll be with Jesus Christ. He'll snatch us away. But more on that another time. Our hope includes the knowledge that evil does not win. Even if we die, evil does not win because of our hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People today oftentimes think that the bad guy always wins. Growing up in the 50s and 60s and watching a lot of Westerns, you know, they were good guys and bad guys. And the good guys always wore the white hats. And all the bad guys wore the black hats. And nowadays, you don't know who's wearing the white hat or the black hat. We've actually come more to reality today than ever before. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But even today, some people think that the bad guy always wins. And some people are getting away with bloody murder today. Political cheating and financial cheating make some rich while throwing others into the poorhouse. We've come to believe that there's no hope for the little guy to ever get ahead, even though he does everything right. I figure that the disciples and those who followed Jesus felt that way for the better part of three days. For three days, they may have wondered how the Roman Empire and the Jewish religious leaders could get away with what they did to Jesus. Pontius Pilate, Ananias, the high priest, and even the devil himself, how did they get away with these things? The fact of the matter is, they didn't get away with anything. Much like today, we, we look at the, 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 things that are, the things that are going on in the, in, in the earth today, on the, world, uh, on the world stage today. Coronavirus that has affected all nations. And there are many people today who say, you know, there's some kind of an underlying thing. Maybe it's the deep state or the deeper state. There's an underlying thing. There's a, this, this conspiratorial 
thinking that's going on? And how are people getting away with everything that's going on, keeping us from going to work, keeping us from, from meeting in church houses? They're even punishing people who want to go have a drive-in church in, in the state of Mississippi. There are more people, there are the more police officers at, 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 at some churches than there are on the streets. And it's sad to see. But nonetheless, we say, you know, how are they getting away with it? They're not getting away with it. We have to look at it now from God's perspective. God is in control. The Lord knows the end from the beginning. But what those disciples learned in three days, what they came to understand is this. That Christ's resurrection marked his triumph over death. Jesus Christ's resurrection marked his triumph over death. Paul, in Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, would say, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. The purpose of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The Apostle John would chime in in this very same thought in 1 John 3 verse 8, when he said, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. That being he that committed sin is of the devil would be those who are committing willful and, and uh, uh, evil sins purposely because their hearts are, are, are dead and far from Christ. But notice that he says at the end of the verse, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. He was manifested, he came to this earth, put on flesh to, to do one thing, to die For the sake of sinners. To shed his blood for the remission of our sins. And to rise again from the dead on the third day. The refrain from the hymn Christ Arose describes wonderfully in song what these verses point to. One of my favorite hymns of this time. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain and he lives forever on his throne to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Praise the Lord. Our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he will take care of evil in taking care of the devil, sin and death and hell. And then our hope also includes the knowledge that God forgives. Our hope in the resurrection includes the knowledge that God forgives. Let's go back to the Gospel of Mark. One great verse of Scripture here. Mark 16, verse 7. The angel has spoken to the women that were there said, he's not here, he's risen. 
But then he says in verse 7 to them, but go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him as he said unto you. Tell his disciples and Peter. Why in the world would the angel call out Peter's name specifically in his instructions to the woman at the tomb? By the way, this isn't the angel's idea. The angel was a messenger of God. A messenger of the Father. To let them know. And specifically to let Peter know something. To let Peter know of Jesus' heart toward him even after his great denial of Jesus a few days earlier. Peter had walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He knew his Lord intimately. He watched as Jesus performed miracles, making the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and even the dead to rise. But on the night of the Lord's Passover supper, Peter commented to Jesus. He said in Matthew 26, verse 33, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. You will deny me three times, Peter. That means you will be offended. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. (laughs) Likewise also said all the disciples. By the way, Peter wasn't alone. The disciples all said, We will not deny you. But let me ask you this. How many disciples were right by the cross? That day that Jesus died. What we know from the Gospels is there was only one. John. Standing with Jesus. Mother Mary. We know the rest of the story. Peter did. Deny Jesus three times. I know that there are those who believe that when Peter denied his Lord, that he forfeited his discipleship and the rights and privileges of an apostle. That's easy to say until you look in a mirror and see your own heart. When at times we ourselves deny the Lord. But Peter was humiliated. He was humiliated to the point that he was ready to go back to the Galilee as a fisherman, which is actually what he, what, he, what he did. He went back to Galilee. Back to his fishing business. But one thing about Peter is that he was repentant. 
He was sorrowful for what he had done. And for those words of Jesus, tell Peter. In actuality, the the words of the angel to the women to tell Peter. Tell him. Tell Peter that Jesus is risen from the dead. Tell Peter that he's ready to heal his backsliding. Tell Peter that Jesus loves him freely. He loves you, Peter, so much that after you're healed, go and strengthen your brethren. Tell Peter that all is forgiven. Tell Peter, oh, my friends and my family, God forgives. God forgives. That's what this day is all about. That God has forgiven us of our sins because we have confessed with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead. But more than that, because God has loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ's blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And he truly, truly forgives. Another apostle that was with him, in fact, one who truly saw Jesus die and would know his resurrection as well, was John. And it is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, a great verse that all of us should memorize. If If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How we should know that verse. Know it just not only in our minds, but in our hearts. If we confess our sins. John is writing to the church. We stumble. We fail. We falter. We at times become faithless. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which he has already accomplished for us on the cross. I read a beautiful paraphrase of this verse once. If we confess our sins, he will forgive the sins we confess and moreover will even cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the emphasis of his forgiveness. He will forgive the sins we confess and moreover will even cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our hope in the resurrection of Jesus gives us the hope of forgiveness. And we need that. And we need it today. And we need it now. And then our hope in the resurrection includes the knowledge that new life is an option that we can receive assuredly. Now, when I mention an option, I'm not talking about the fact that there's kind of an option, you know, that is like a, you know, a salad bar, which you can kind of pick and choose what you want. 
It is only an option if you choose or choose not to believe in Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is when we do choose, when we do put our hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a new life. It is what we have in coming to Christ. And we receive it assuredly. We have the assurance of a new life in Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We should walk in newness of life. Jesus' resurrection proves that a person can have a new life and live a new life. You not only have it, but you are to live it. You are to live it forth. You are to walk. When Paul says walk in newness of life, that is the way we are to live every day in newness of life. We read in 2 Corinthians 5.17 again, Paul saying, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are new. All things are new for us every day as we trust in the Lord. His mercies are new every morning. We're told in Lamentations chapter 3, Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful every day for us. That is a newness of life that we have because we have surrendered to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we believe it and we confess it and we know it. And lastly, lastly, our hope includes the promise of a better tomorrow. The promise of a better tomorrow. Our hope in the resurrection. See, people today are, are looking for a, a, a hope for a better tomorrow after the, we can get to some uh, solution to the coronavirus epidemic and pandemic. One of these days, we're going to have a better tomorrow here on the earth. Maybe we might come back to some normality. But the believer in Jesus Christ knows better. Even as this world continues to get worse rather than better, we as believers in Jesus Christ have the hope of a better tomorrow. Because our better tomorrow is not about being on this earth, or at least the earth as we know it. Our hope is being with Jesus Christ for eternity. Oh, we'll be back on, to a, a, a renewed heaven and new earth. And we will reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. The scripture is clear about that. But it is, it, it's, it's not about where we are. It's about with whom we are. And that promise Peter has given us, as we read in the text earlier, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, and notice, reserved in heaven for you. That is the better tomorrow. Reserved in heaven for you. We have laid up treasures in heaven. We are not laying up treasures on this earth. Where moth 
and rust can destroy, where thieves can break in and steal. No, we are laying our treasures up in heaven where none of those things can destroy or take, or, 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 or take those things away. No, we are laying up treasures in heaven and therefore our inheritance that has been promised to us by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is reserved in heaven for you. How precious is the promise that Jesus gave on the night that he was betrayed before he went to the cross. Jesus said to his disciples, to the faithful disciples who remained, to the eleven, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know. And the way, you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we we know not whither thou goest. We don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. What a promise he made. I go to prepare a place for you. The bridegroom. Preparing the place for his bride. In his father's house. That's the richness of the Jewish heritage, the Jewish wedding and its importance for us to understand why Jesus is going to come for his bride before the great and awesome and terrible day of the Lord. Our hope is for a better tomorrow not one that gets worse. We're going to see things happen, but we think what's happening today is bad. There's a seven-year period of time coming that's going to be really bad. Jesus is coming to rescue his bride. That is why Jesus Christ is alive. That is why we rejoice in his resurrection and his resurrection power. You see, he's ready to meet us in the hour of death. But more than that, he is ready to meet us in the pressures of life. And oh, how many pressures we've encountered recently. But he said, I will be with you. I will be with you always. Even to the end of the world, I will be with you. If you do not know him, you are going to have to struggle all through the weary days and weeks and months and years that lie ahead, doing the same old thing, hoping and finding your hopes dashed, trying to be sincere and finding it all come apart. Or you can put your life into the hands of the only one, the only one who is capable of handling it, the one who died for you, the one who died and shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. The one who died and was buried, but on the third day 
conquered sin, death, hell, and the enemy by rising again from the dead. You can do that in a moment. All you need to do is recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And you need to ask Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. Yes, come to Jesus. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you the rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He alone has conquered sin and death. We read back earlier in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. I want to read it one more time as we close and come to the table of communion. And I hope that those of you who are watching have prepared your bread and your juice. We're going to partake of that together. And if you haven't, you can have a little time. You might even put pause on and go get your bread and your cup. But we want to be ready to partake of this together. But in Romans 10, verses 9 through 11, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Do that now. And you too can experience the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. May God richly bless you if you do that today. And let us know, whatever way that you can, let us know that you made that commitment to Jesus Christ today that you surrendered your heart to the Lord who died for you and is risen again and loves you this very moment.